On this episode of Your Asian Best Friends, we react to the new Mike Mills movie, Come On, Come On. We talk about Asian fatherhood and what that means to us. And there are tons of Asians in the news lately, which is delightfully surprising. (laughs) I'm Bernard. And I'm Taylor. And we're your Asian best friends. Welcome, everybody, to episode six of your Asian best friends. How long are we going to number these? I don't know. I was thinking about that the other day when I was cutting the podcast together. I was just like, I don't want to do the same. It's going to get so funny. <laughs> like, because uh, uh, I remember when the, I was watching the UFC when it was like double digits. Mm hmm. UFC 40, you know, like back yeah. then. And then now they're at like 287. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny because I think they tried, they found it to be obnoxious themselves, the organization. Yeah. So they they stopped using the number, but then the fans got really mad <laughs> that they stopped numbering the events. So they kept numbering them. But I feel like we don't, uh, I don't want to number these. But I don't know, like all the big podcasts, are numbered. Do they number? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, because you got like WTF, This American Life. Well, so I don't, maybe I don't want to say it. Yeah, I think the problem, the problem's you. Yeah, I've I've been, (laughs) I've been self-reflecting quite a bit uh, since the last podcast and I feel like I've got to work on myself and not number the episodes verbally. Yeah, I mean, every time I cut the episodes together, I'm like, Jesus, this guy with the numbers every time, every goddamn time. So selfish. It's really selfish. Sometimes (laughs) it takes time for you to realize that you're hurting your friends. It's true. And uh, I'm sorry, Taylor. It's okay. Welcome to this latest episode of Your Asian Best Friends. The last one. (laughs) (laughs) Friendship's over. I've been no. I've been enumerating these episodes for too long. Now Taylor's too mad at me. Yeah. So it's our final episode. Yeah. Episode six. (laughs) 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 But um, so today, you know, uh, we're going to be talking about, I'd say the theme for today, this is Taylor's idea. Yeah. It's being Asian dads or being dads. Dads. Who may or may not be Asian American. We are though. We definitely yeah, are. we are. So it will be, it is. A, <laughs> we're gonna mix in some white perspective in there too. You know, play it coy. Am I Asian American? <laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> but um, we're talking about a movie that we we've briefly discussed on the show before. Yeah. Um, Mike Mills. Come on, come on. Come on, come on. Starring Joaquin Phoenix. The film also stars a young actor by the name of Woody Norman, who is excellent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, really, really one of the best things about this movie. And that's saying a lot considering uh, Mr. Phoenix is in the mix. But um, yeah, we're going to go in depth on that movie because it's a movie that affected us both deeply. And it's out this week. By the time you guys are listening to this, it's out in theater. So you guys can see it too. So we'd love to give this movie more attention. And we're also going to be talking about a slew of other things that kind of revolve around uh, Asian fatherhood, I suppose. Um, Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty exciting because I think, uh, at least for me, um, I think I identify first as being a father and then Asian American second. But um, so I'm excited about uh, talking about this tonight. Yeah, me too. Um, I've made an executive decision. Okay. Okay. No Taylor's takes this week. It sounds good. Yeah, let's a little work. (laughs) (laughs) Taylor's sweating already when he's waiting for Taylor's takes. No Taylor's takes. It's not going to be a a a uh, I don't know a regular segment. Yeah, on the show. Mm -hmm. I think we should keep it special. Mm -hmm. So you know, we don't know when we'll see the return of Taylor's takes. (laughs) We don't know. You better tune in. May come back next week. May come back next year. Who knows? But uh, Taylor's takes is taking a, a, a hiatus, a, a hiatus, indefinite hiatus, a hiatus. 
But um, so I guess to get things rolling, I gotta thank you because you know when I when I came in here to the studio, yeah, um, in parts unknown, you, you gifted me a wonderful gift, Momofuku Chili Crunch by our old pal Dave Chang. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, buddy. You bet. You bet. Hey, pretty soon we keep on calling him our pal. It's just gonna happen. He's just gonna be our buddy. I really want to interview him. I want to interview him so bad. Yeah, you just got to find your angle, buddy. That guy. But yeah, I'm excited to use this chili crunch. Yeah. Is that what they call it? A chili crunch? Yeah, it's called chili crunch. Not, I don't, it's not chili crisp. I think it is. But it is chili crisp, but he calls it chili crunch. Yeah. You know what's interesting is that I actually have no history of using that shit like mm. growing up. And I think as you know, Asian Americans, I think we pull from each other's spicy condiments. But- I never, I never had chili crunch or chili crisp, but now that I've had it, it's not going to leave my pantry. It's like one of the best condiments. It's so good. It's so good. Oh, I put, yeah, I like, um, I don't know, because I haven't uh, tried it yet. Obviously, Taylor just gifted it to me. <laughs> but are there, is there peanuts in there? No peanuts. No peanuts. No peanuts. It's my favorite part of chili crisp. <laughs> what are the crunchy, uh, just the chili flake? And, There's the chili flakes. Yeah. I don't know. There might be peanuts. Eschalots. Really Eschalots. I, I didn't really look at the. Uh, I didn't really look at the ingredient list that that in depth. I just put it in my mouth and, dude, let it. Rip. That's what I do. I just put it in my mouth and <laughs> let it rip. Just let it rip. <laughs> whatever, whatever comes, comes. What? Uh, so. <laughs> You know what? I, you know what I saw, dude. What'd you see? <clears throat> I saw I saw Dave Chang on on Hot Ones. Oh, how was the that? Hot Wing? That was today, right? <laughs> Hot Wing interview show is out today. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. It was a good interview. Uh, Dave was great. Was yeah. he even phased by the, the by the spiciness yes. level? <laughs> yes, he was. It was funny because I thought he would be like elite, right? As far as like being able to handle spicy, yeah. But there's one sauce on there that uh, is kind of infamous and kind of gets everybody. Mm. It's called Da Bomb. Mm. And it's from, I've never had it, but from how people describe it, um, including the chefs that have been on the show, it's just like bitter and spicy. Like it doesn't taste like anything. It's just hot. Uh, And Dave Chang was like blown away by the sauce because he was dying. Yeah. But there's only habaneros in there. Oh, really? And he was like, how is this this hot? He, he didn't yeah. understand why uh-huh. it could be that hot with just habaneros, but yeah. I don't know what they do to that sauce. Yeah, he didn't have a good time uh, with that. <laughs> but it was, there were some you know, um, highlights from the interview that I liked, like um, the host, Sean, Evan, Sean Evans, asked Dave how we could, what's the best way to support your like, local restaurants? Because a lot of them are struggling now. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Mr. Chang said, just pick like two or three that you mm-hmm. really like yeah. and just go there all the time, no matter what, mm-hmm. even if you bad experience or whatever, just unconditionally go to those places. And he was basically saying, you can't save them all yeah. unless you're like a zillionaire or whatever. So if you just have some restaurants you like, just go there. Yeah. Support. I think, I think that's what I've been trying to do yeah. during the, um, pandemic and, even though it feels like we're kind of coming out of it, we're really kind of still in it. And especially the, you know, the impact to the restaurant industry um, is still very apparent, especially with staffing. You know, you look into right. some of these restaurants and there's like kids working the counter. I mean, I just went to one tonight and it took us like, I don't know, 20 minutes to get a scoop of ice cream. Wow. And it's not the chef owner's fault it's the fact that like who else is he what talent pool yeah are they going to pull from you know you're kind of left with not very good people yeah just serve the service suffers <laughs> yeah the everything service suffers, suffers you know yeah. and i hope hopefully it is also a time that people reflect and realize how much skill goes into these service jobs when they get less than stellar service you know, right? So I feel like people are assholes, and they will not. 
I don't think they so. They don't have either. the self-awareness. Yeah. They have no self-awareness. <laughs> no. They'll just complain <clears throat> about it anyway. Yeah. yeah. No. People that complain about service will always complain about service. I ran into a Karen the other day. Speaking yeah. of Karens. I was at the post office uh-huh. waiting for an appointment, a passport appointment. And there's like, it was Where really, are you going? I'm going to Ireland. What? Yeah. Going What's going to happen to our podcast? Well, you know, we'll... Uh, We'll have to say goodbye, I guess. Okay. Just, uh, you know, for a while, just indefinite hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you come back from Ireland. My weekend in Ireland. <laughs> no, I don't know how long I'm going to be there, but um, I was at this, at the post office waiting for my uh, appointment. And then this lady comes up and says, excuse me. And I was like, hello. Uh, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I have an appointment for a passport appointment. Yeah. My appointment's at like my appointment. My appointment was at two. Hers at two fifteen. And she's like, well, I have an appointment at two fifteen. It's almost two fifteen. Yeah. And I'm just waiting. I'm being helped and I'm waiting for the I can't do shit. Yeah. It's not my job to do shit anyways. If you know, if yeah. I had any power over it. And I was like, uh, I looked at her. I was like, what do you want me to do? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just standing here, man. I'm here for the same reason you are. And she looks, she gets, looks so annoyed with me. What is with people? <laughs> what, what the fuck? How are you going to blame me for your little inconvenience? It wasn't even time for her appointment yet. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even 2.15 yet. She's mad at me. Yeah. The person who has the appointment before her. She's probably complaining about these mom and pop shops. BJ's takes. Yeah. <laughs> so hot. Hot takes. Hot takes. That is not a hot to everyone hates Karens. Yeah, but you know, I've met some really lovely Karens in my life. People that are actually <laughs> named Karen. Yeah, they're always and it's nice. Just <laughs> fucked up that this name has been co-opted to describe every privileged white woman in the world. Poor Karens. Yeah. Most of the Karens I met, not white. Asian. That's a very common Asian name. Yeah. Very common. It is. Poor Asian Karens. Although (laughs) it's almost like, I feel like when people think of Karens, they totally think of white people, like white women. Yeah, but there's like a bet. There's got to be a better name for a Karen. Like there's got to be like a a Tiffany. (laughs) I don't know, man. I think Karen's pretty. Or... (laughs) A Deborah. Deb. A Debbie. Deb. A Debbie. How many Debbies <laughs> are white? All of them? <laughs> yeah. If we're if we're really going after the whites here. Yeah. Maybe Karen's not the best name. Yeah, exactly. Hmm. Taylor's So, I've got a couple of news items here oh, yeah? to run by you. Um, there's a couple that are pretty exciting, actually. These are both really good. Okay. First big news item that I know you're aware of, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it here. New Sesame Street character. Yeah. Ji Young. Ji Young. Korean, right? Korean. Y-O-U-N-G. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I'll take it. <laughs> sure, but um, yeah, that that's really cool that that uh that they're doing this. Um, yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty cool. I mean, I think the uh, intention to deliberately make her Korean American rather than this sort of blanket Asian American was a really cool choice. And listening to their reasoning behind it, of like, you know, I think Asian Americans get. Uh, frustrated by getting lumped into one big group and to give some individuality to this character and let her identify with her actual culture was really, um, really cool to see. That's a great point. That's a great point. Like the cultural specificity. Yeah, exactly. She's Korean. She likes, what did they say? She she likes like bibimbap or something. Yeah. (laughs) Who doesn't though? So good. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really like uh, heartened by this. This is great. Yeah, no, I think it's really exciting. I mean, you've already seen the blowback on like Fox News of like Sesame Street has no race, which is bullshit. Like, like what? there's 
What? What? You didn't see that shit? That's I can't blasphemy. Remember. Yeah, I know. Sesame Street definitely has race. Huh? I know. That's what I'm saying. What? Because Ernie's Mexican. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely. And there's like Rosalita. Oh, I like, forgot about Rosalita. Yeah. Know, like there's plenty of characters on there that identify with a race. Why can't we get one of ours on there? I mean, they have birds. They literally have like yeah. avian <laughs> guest members. Let's get an Asian one in there. Why are they complaining? How is, <laughs> how is this hurting anyone? <laughs> Fuck. I know, man. I mean, you the people will find a reason to complain about everything, especially when there's like people of color involved. <laughs> yeah, you can't. No, uh, whoa, sure. whoa, whoa, whoa! Let's not <laughs> yeah. let them have too much here. <laughs> yeah. Wait exactly. a second. Um, I saw that on the ep- has the episode aired yet? I think it has. I haven't. I haven't seen it yet. Our boy Simu Lu's on it. No shit. Yeah, Simu's in there, and then the chef. Um, is it Melissa King? I believe it's Melissa King. She's from here. She's from San Francisco. Yeah. Really cool um, chef. She, I think she was on that episode as well. So really good. Really good um, to see Sesame Street. It's Jim Henson, right? Yeah. Uh, Jim, yeah Henson, Jim Henson uh, Studio. Yeah. Good for them, man. That, that It means a lot. Especially as, you know, we were talking about the theme today is us being Asian fathers. This really means a lot. It really did make me reflect a lot on myself growing up. Um and where I saw representation. And I didn't really see it anywhere in kids' shows. Um, but it doesn't shock me that Sesame Street's the the place that it ended up happening. Because I think in general, Sesame Street's always had this culture of acceptance, you know. But uh, super cool. Super cool to see that. Um, Sesame Street, also like nice always to be reminded that Sesame Street's still around. Because it... it <laughs> I, I, yeah, I do not need to be reminded. It is on. <laughs> it is on my television for like an hour, hour and a half per day. <sighs> Sometimes I feel guilty about what? Because my kid will like learn stuff, mm-hmm. and I neither me or nor my partner can really take any credit for it. Which I guess is normal because they go to school and stuff. Yeah. But sometimes, like, my kid learns stuff from YouTube, and it, it makes me sad. I'm just like, oh, I should have probably taught him that. But uh. So another new news item here. Taylor, maybe you can tell me about this. I hope so, because I have no <laughs> idea what you're about to tell me. I don't know a lot about this. <laughs> so this segment might just die on arrival. We'll see. <laughs> if you guys are listening to this, you're, consider yourself lucky. Yeah. Because I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Shohei Otani. Uh-huh. Unanimous American League MVP. Yeah. You know about this. I didn't know that he won the MVP. When did that happen? This week? It looks looks like today. Today? Yeah, that's not shocking. That guy is fucking insane. Yeah? Tell me about yeah. it. I mean, one, he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. And he's also one of the best batters in baseball. Mm. Like, he's... Mm. The closest thing to Babe Ruth that we have right wow. now. Like, he's just insane. I mean, who's to say how long he can keep this pace? But, yeah, that guy is just, like, incredible at what he's what he's able to do or what he's been wow. able to do, at least in the past year. I mean, it's nothing I've seen in my lifetime. And I've been watching baseball for for quite a bit, like, almost my whole life. And this is just, like, it's you watch him and you think that you're watching someone special. You know, it honestly kind of reminds me of when we were kids and Barry Bonds used to come up to bat. You always knew like something's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and he has that same sort of magic. Ooh, what am I? I'm asleep. You are. I mean, baseball's super boring these days. So, (laughs) (laughs) I can watch highlights though. I'll show you. You can watch highlights. You can watch highlights. You can get Jersey, you little bobblehead. You know, and like pretty much if if you are an Asian American and you go to a baseball game where there's a prominent Japanese um, baseball player, you will most likely <laughs> be lumped in <laughs> to everybody else. <laughs> the ushers will think that you're there only to see Shohei yeah, Otani. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Like they'll speak to you very slowly. Yeah, every time he's up to bed, everyone looks at you and smiles. <laughs> Here's your guy. Here's your guy. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Well, that's exciting. So does it mean anything to you that he's... Is he Asian American? He's Japanese. Jap- he's from Japan. He's from Japan. He's from, he yeah. sounds like he's from Japan. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's Japanese. Um, yeah. I think it definitely means something to me. As a Japanese American, yeah, um, just because baseball is a huge part of that culture, hundred percent. And to see somebody come from Japan and just completely dominate is really cool. You know, I think we talk about that a lot on this podcast of just um, this idea of um, Asian masculinity and how it's represented in our culture. And I think it does, you know, in some ways it means something to have a Japanese um, baseball player completely dominate in America. I think in American culture, I think there's still this special place that we hold for professional sports. Like that is the peak of athletic performance. And um, it's just really cool to see um, one of us be at the peak of the peak. Right. You know? Best of the best. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, and just kind of in the same vein, I think it's cool that we live in a time where, like, so so in the NBA, I'm like a basketball guy. Like, I watch basketball, and there are Asian-American players. But I think 20 years ago, 30 years ago, these players probably would we wouldn't even know they're Asian or they wouldn't be asked about it or anything. <clears throat> wouldn't be like a big headline anywhere. But now because of the proliferation of like digital content, mm-hmm. and you can totally, there are like platforms where people ask these players about their Asian-ness because like there's YouTube and like little shows, you know, not maybe they're not being asked this on like the major networks necessarily, but they're, they're, you know, more not niche, but like specialized outlets that, that can ask these Asian American players and athletes about their um, nationality and their roots. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. You know, like, cause back in the day when we were kids, it, we definitely wouldn't hear it about <laughs> all this, you know? No, I mean, definitely not. And um, I think even in the most recent history, like, you know, four or five years ago when Jeremy Lin was like the big name in basketball, um, there's a lot of like racist shit circling around his um, rise, you know. And I'd hope now that, especially given recent events, that wouldn't happen and be welcomed and celebrated a little bit more. But his particular story felt like it was a, you know, watershed moment for the Asian American community, but it wasn't seen the same way Mm. from, you know, our dominant culture. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like across the board, you know, in all, all forms of entertainment and, and, and sports and everything, we're just seeing these, these Asians get their flowers. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, man. Speaking of another another lane that we are doing well in, check this one out. Michelle Wu becomes the first woman and first person of color and first mother elected as mayor of Boston. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? I saw that. Yeah. Boston's a racist-ass city, so that's like a huge... That's what, okay, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> For sure, man. It's a sign of the times. Yeah. Boston. Yeah. It's the most Irish, like, palest fucking place ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For sure, man. I was pretty shocked when I saw that. Just knowing what I know of Boston, it <laughs> feels like uh, it was almost like an accident that she, like, the racist... Bostonites were just asleep or something, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she just snuck in. But uh, yeah, it's super exciting, man. I was really shocked to see that happen. I'll be honest. I did not think that was going to happen. When I saw that an Asian-American woman was running for mayor of Boston, I was like, that's a mistake. That's mm. not going <laughs> to mm. 
which shows that I should not be a political like, strategist. She ain't gonna win. <laughs> <laughs> she ain't gonna win. <laughs> she ain't gonna win. She ain't gonna win. Oh man! So you know, just looking at all these news stories, like her uh, Shohei and um, the Asian character Ji Young in Sesame Street, these are all just examples of the fact that our kids have Asians to look up to now. Yeah, like in all fields, mm-hmm. across all these fields, like and these are these people are making noise you know they're getting attention and it matters to people boston white ass town yeah voted this asian woman to lead them be their mayor that says a lot and um it's just as a dad so you know i guess transitioning into this uh, you know our personal lives as dads Mm -hmm. that that's really that makes me happy that that now my kids are gonna have way more um Asians to look up to than I did when I was a kid. Yeah. I think, and I think it's important, like Asians in the public sphere, you know, like, because I think, um, I think we were as kids sold this lie of Asian exceptionalism, which, um, helped us think that we could achieve things, but there were still barriers there of like, well, we can't be an actor. You can't be a musician. You can't be an athlete. You can't, can't do any of the... Can't talk. Can't talk. <laughs> you can't do any of the things that dr- kids dream of doing, right? Like, you ask any kid, it's like, I want to be a professional athlete. I want to be an actor. I want to do this. Like, those are like the dream jobs. I don't know if anyone's saying they want to be mayor of Boston, but still, it's still like a really prominent... Position of power. Position of power. And... We just didn't have a ton of examples of that when we were kids, and it's great to great to see now. You know, it's great to see um, real life examples that we can then share with our kids to say, "Look, you could do this, you could do that." But yeah, just so I'm excited that my and happy that my kids will have examples of people who kind of you know kind of look like them, um, excelling in different fields so that they can set the tone and set an example. Um, and I, I look to do that myself in my own ways as well, obviously. And, um, how I wanted to ask you, like, how do you, how do you approach your kids? Um, as far as a conversation about like them being Asian and what that means. Mm. Just a little question. <laughs> yeah. Casual question. <laughs> What's your philosophy of parenting? Yeah. Um no, I think it's complicated with my kids. Uh because if you looked at them, they look like white kids. Um because really that's what they are. That's their predominant makeup, right? Right. Um cuz I'm half Japanese, so they're a quarter Japanese. And my wife is um, half Iranian, so they're a quarter Iranian. So that makes them, you know, half white. So, you know, you can tell that, you know, they got some color to them. They're tan, they're brown, whatever. But I don't think anybody would say, like, that's a Japanese-American. Right. Um, or an Iranian-American, for for that matter. Um So I think in some ways I try really hard for them to connect with their uh, Japanese culture and my partner also tries really hard for them to connect with their Persian culture. And we've named them names that are in line with that thinking. Right. So my oldest son, who has a very Japanese name, is very into Japanese culture right now. And everything that he sees where he notices like, oh, that's Japanese, he gets really into it. Um, And it's really cool to see because honestly, raising them has made me more aware of my culture. Um, I got them this book a few months ago. It was just like one of those like simple kids books all about Japan. I was flipping through it 
I learned so much shit about Japan, man. (laughs) (laughs) This is a kid's book. (laughs) The kids have left the room. I'm like, oh, man. This is fascinating. This is fascinating. So in some ways, like, raising them has helped me a lot to connect with my my own culture, Hmm. which has been something I was not expecting. Yeah, it's a different story for me, slightly, just because my kids... I don't know. I mean, they look like me. They, like they're half. They're they look like they're half. One Asian. of them. One of them looks more Asian than the. <laughs> than the other. One of <laughs> On them the looks very Asian. Of Asian-ness. Yeah, definitely. One of them clearly looks Asian. Yeah, at least you know, at least part Asian. Like people, you'd have to be blind to not consider this kid uh, Asian. Mm-hmm. The other one looks white. Mm-hmm. My wife is white. Mm-hmm. Um, so. They're both pretty young still. Like your yeah. kids are a little older, older than mine. I haven't really, and my and um, my son's on the spectrum, mm-hmm. so I haven't definitely haven't delved into like any type of complex conversation about his ethnicity and yeah. what, and the the um, implications there. Uh, but he looks pretty white, so. <laughs> <laughs> so he's he's okay but like, but <laughs> he probably won't be perceived yeah. as asian buddy um but i yeah i i think i plan to and i i hope that i'll have a similar experience to yours where i'm able to connect more intimately with um my parents culture and, and um my family's culture mm-hmm. through my kids you know just uh in trying to teach them and connect them with the culture, I'll I'll find a, a deeper a deeper um, understanding myself. I look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the few times where it felt very natural for me to connect with my culture. When I met my partner, she clearly identified with her culture, and it was really beautiful. And mm. in some ways, I was really jealous because I had no real connection at least not that strong of a connection that that she had um and i tried in some ways to build that um mm-hmm. over time but you know it just ultimately it would just fall by the wayside and i think once my kids were born it just became like a natural extension of fatherhood of like i want to teach you this and i want to learn this because you're clearly interested in this that's cool so, how do I create an environment that it's easy for you to connect with your culture? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, it's a big opportunity we have and I'm very thankful for it. Uh, I'm excited to learn more about being Filipino through, <laughs> through my, yeah. through my kids. Um, now let's just talk about fatherhood in general for a moment. Mm-hmm. Cause I just got here from watching my kids all day. Yeah. And I was thinking about, I knew we were going to talk about this uh, today, and I was just thinking about, like, the, the struggle. You know, the, it's a beautiful thing being a parent and being a father, but the, the struggle for me, um, you know, I, I, my nine-to-five is watching my kids. Like, I work, but really my priority as far as my hours is dedicated to them. And uh, it's, like, the hardest job I've ever had, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. by far. And... I think one of the biggest things I learned was that it, it's tough and I fail a lot, but that's like how I grow, you know, like as a person and as a father, it's like, um, finding the value in the failures mm-hmm. day to day. I, I, I fail a lot. I think all parents, you know, you kind of hard on yourself a lot of the time when you react a way you think you shouldn't or, or you, maybe you neglect them in a way. Um, but I think it's almost, it's cool to, it's like now I, I've learned to almost to like forgive myself, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, and being patient with myself. And it's funny how much your kids teach you. They do. Um, and I think in some ways I was, I mean, I, I, I think I understand, I understand like you definitely learn through failure. Um, but I think I was 
not learning fast enough and failing too much. <laughs> fast enough and failing too much. <laughs> I see, I see. And uh, so I just started reading books mm. and trying to figure out like, okay, what am I doing wrong? And a huge part of being a parent is just like listening and validating feelings, you know? And as somebody that, you know, worked in the food industry where everything is just like on a schedule, you're on this, you know, you're trying to do everything in the most efficient way at, at the most efficient way as possible. Fuck your feelings. Yeah, exactly. It's like, <laughs> it's like, well, those feelings are not going to get dinner on the table. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Was it hard for you to shed that? Because I know that that kind of um, philosophy permeates your life in a lot of ways. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I think it's taken me years to shed it. I don't know if mm. it's ever completely going to be shed. I don't know if I really want it to Well, at least just in the context of your children, right? Like, you don't want to t- treat them like a line cook or <laughs> I don't. No, I don't. Um, I would say, honestly, like, that's a lesson that I learned probably this year um, mm. or that I've tried to act. I, I knew it was wrong. I knew it was the wrong way to be a parent. But I think this is the first time that I've had the mental space to just, like, Say, okay, I got to fix this now mm. before I make little monsters like me. Little monsters. <laughs> little Taylor's takes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just every, and yeah, I don't, I don't need my kids to hold the same idiosyncrasies that I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you're a monster, but I get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I totally, I totally get you. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I've, I, I've, being watching my kids every day, like I my my kids, I'm I've been with them every day. I, I think I've taken a few work trips mm-hmm. where I'm not with them, but other than that, I'm I'm raising them. Yeah, um, along with my partner, but you know, I'm there. I'm there every day, all day, and um, I just I'm so thankful for the experience because I've grown up so fast. I'm so much more patient than I was. Um, I've been able to, I think I've been able to identify some of my biggest faults because, oh, because yeah. they expose everything, you know? And, uh, I just love my kids, man. Like they just, it's like the biggest gift. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a big part of it is exposing your faults, right? Yeah. Um, because you don't really have, like when you're in relationships with people, like you can be an asshole and the person will leave and you'll just be like, huh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) What's wrong with them? You know, and then, but with your kids, they're kind of stuck with you. And all you left is like watching their behavior and seeing how your bad behavior affects them. Right. And they're not going to leave. So you're either forced with, you know, watching your kids suffer in some ways or changing your behavior because you're recognizing how you're affecting them. Yeah. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for that. I'm thankful for my kids. Um, and, but it's fucking hard. It's, it's so hard. I mean, I get, I'm aware of all the, you know, they're not, they're, they are, uh, inherently intrinsically innocent, but sometimes they piss me the fuck off. Right. Like I know that they are kids and they, they, they are just, I got to teach them how to not be little dicks. If they're acting like little dicks, that's on me. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes I get, I get really frustrated and there are these moments, you know, where I know I shouldn't be losing my cool, but sometimes I lose my cool. Yeah. Um, it doesn't happen as much anymore, but I did definitely happens. Um, and I think our movie that we're talking about today, come on, come on just captures that friction so beautifully. Um, that friction between you and a, a child that you love, but who is in the moment being like um, exceedingly frustrating. Yeah, no, definitely. I think um, parenting, I mean, as cliche it is, as it is, it's all about patience and how much you have in a given day 
might not be a lot. Right, right. Data, it's a different every yeah. day. And when you do have those explosions and when you're not the parent that you want to be, it's easy to dwell on it and feel like a pile of shit. But if you dwell on it too much, you're just going to keep on doing it because you feel awful. So your patience is dwindled and then you're just going to keep repeating the behavior. And it's a cycle that you just can't break, you know? Yeah. And I think as we move into the discussion of come on, come on, I think they really do paint that struggle so accurately of. Yeah. It's like freaky. The, yeah, definitely. Just the defeat of what it feels like when you didn't make the right decision and the joys of parenting when you do it right. Yeah, and getting through getting through the adversity and the and the and the disagreements and the friction and the ups and downs. It's like because you've gotten through all that, it, it makes the relationship that much uh, more beautiful. So, in come on, come on. Joaquin Phoenix plays a radio documentarian who watches his sister's son, so his nephew, while she tends to her ailing partner. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she's played by Gabby Hoffman, who's also incredible in this movie. Dude, I mean, ama- in- amazing. How underrated is she? Yeah, she was absolutely incredible. Like, break your heart incredible in this movie. Yeah, wonderful. Um, so Come On, Come On stars Joaquin Phoenix as a man who takes care of his sister's son, his nephew, while she uh, tends to her ailing partner. The sister's played by Gabby Hoffman who's incredible. And the child, the nephew is played by Woody Norman child actor, um, who every is every bit as extraordinary as Joaquin Phoenix on the screen in this movie. But the, the bulk of the movie follows, um, Joaquin's character watching his nephew, um, and taking him on his work trips, uh, across the country with him. He's watching the nephew because his sister is tending to her ailing, um, partner. And so for most of the movie, it's Joaquin's character and Woody's character, the the uncle and the nephew, um, just kind of getting to know one another. They don't really know each other that well at the beginning of the story. But as um, Joaquin's character takes um, his nephew across the country with him on work trips and stuff, they get to know each other really well and in ways that actually... Um, reflect the director Mike Mills's real life relationship with his son. So a lot of the scenes between the between Joaquin and Woody are taken from Mike Mills's life, which is I think the real strength in the spine of the movie. Yeah, and I think you mentioned briefly the performances of um, Gabby Hoffman and Joaquin and Woody, and what's really struck me as you were going through those names is that it's such an equally weighted um, film in that no actor eats up more scenery than another. Mm -hmm. Like they're just, all their performances are just so incredible that you come away with this, like in some ways excruciatingly accurate representation of raising a kid. Maybe though, I mean, Woody Norman is like one of that's like one of the best kid actor performances I've ever seen. Yeah, unbelievable. And then and then Taylor and I, um, we saw the movie at um, a film festival, and Mike Mills was there, mm-hmm. and he did a little, a little interview after the screening, and he informed us that Woody is British. Yeah, <laughs> which is which is crazy to me. He's a yeah. little kid. How old is he? Like ten or something? Yeah. And he, he is British, and he put on this perfect American accent mm-hmm. and this perfect performance. I mean, yeah, and it's it sounds funny because it's a kid playing a kid, but how many times have we seen movies and films where kids are just fucking terrible at playing kids? You know, like this was so natural and so all-encompassing of, I think the joy and the pain that kids feel growing up because everything's new to them and everything is um, at an emotional level that I don't think that um, parents truly can empathize with sometimes. Yeah, there's there's an awesome... Mike Mills did an awesome job of 
um, kind of illustrating these moments where um, the nephew is really provoking um, the uncle mm. and really being, you know, like a a little, a little kid. Yeah, yeah a, little, little a little asshole. <laughs> you know, purposefully getting under his uncle's skin, uh, which is... I don't want to spoil too much in the movie, but is an indication of some other issue that's that's um, gurgling underneath, <laughs> deeper in 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 the kid's uh, psyche, and I thought that was really thoughtful of Mike Mills to handle these confrontations between the uncle and the nephew. With, I mean, I I know he's taking it from his own life. But he could have overplayed like so yeah. many of these moments and made them and made the kid like precocious mm-hmm. or made or made um, uh, Joaquin's character blow up in a way that isn't true to life. Right. It would be over dramatic or under dramatic. It was just pitch perfect all the way through. It really was. And even some of that nuance with um, when a kid behaves badly, there's always something behind it. Right. right. It always signals something deeper. It always signals something deeper. And when I saw that kid's performance, it reminded me so much of my um, uh, youngest son's uh, sort of disposition. Mm. Because he's less emotional, um, outwardly emotional, than my oldest, who always expresses his feelings in ways that are very easy to understand. But... Um, my youngest son is, in some ways, his sadness can sometimes surface as misbehavior, and it takes time to untangle that and truly understand why they're behaving that way. Right. And through that journey, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to say the wrong things, but then you end up in these really sweet moments when it's just you and your kid and you're talking about real life shit, you know, and that's, I think, the magic of the movie. And I think that's just like the magic of parenting to begin with. Yeah. And, and I thought I th- that, that's such a good point. Um, I don't know, because this it's not like a pretty movie, if you know what I mean. Mm. No, I don't mean aesthetically, but just like the, the storytelling itself. Mm. It feels very raw and real. Um there's definitely, uh, I don't know, a, uh, it's just completely unadorned to me. Like there's yeah. nothing, there's nothing like saccharine about it, mm-hmm. but there's nothing super depressing about it either or overly dramatic. It's just really, like I said, it was pitch, pitch perfect. Um, but aesthetically, the movie is really interesting because it's in black and white. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a interesting decision by Mike Mills um, artistically. Yeah, because and I like it. I, I interesting sounds like I'm being dismissive. Like, <laughs> interesting, so <choice>. interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but his his reasoning for why he did that was so fascinating. He said that to him in his mind, he saw this as like a fable. Yeah, of you know the uncle and the nephew, and it's very simple story in many ways. And he wanted to represent that visually, and he thought that by um, presenting it in black and white that it made it kind of timeless mm-hmm. and it felt somehow warmer and uh, more classical in, in its presentation. I think, I think it, I, that totally resonated with me in that way. Yeah. And I think it also just pulls you into this world that even though it's a reflection of your own, the magic of black and white filmmaking makes it feel timeless. Like you said, yeah, like a fable. I mean, yeah. if that's what he was going for. That's what it felt like. Um, I think the movie takes place like now, like in the present day. Yeah, but it it definitely had a timeless feel about it. To where like the there's lots of technology in it, but it it also it didn't feel like a like a, like a modern like yeah. a, a modern drama or family drama or whatever. It just felt like a timeless uh, tale about an uncle and a nephew family. And there's also a movie within the movie too when you think about the when you think about the radio interviews that um Joaquin Phoenix is 
conducting throughout the film with real life kids. Yeah, so interspersed throughout the movie, there are these, I don't know what you'd call them, little vignettes of Mm -hmm. um, his character, Joaquin's character, um, who is like interviewing kids Mm -hmm. in different cities across the country and asking them about their thoughts on life and love and uh, being young and all these things, really deep questions. And, And these kids... Um, they actually interviewed real kids mm-hmm. and it's these real kids, real genuine, uh, answers to these questions. And, uh, like, like Taylor said, they're, they're interspersed throughout the movie. Um, not in, ra- at random times, but I think in, in, we see these real kids at, at certain times in the movie where their real responses kind of recontextualize what's happening in the narrative Mm-hmm. In a really fascinating way. Yeah, it's such a f- fine line that he's towing there. Because even in his interview, he says, like, I didn't want these interviews just to support the narrative. It felt inauthentic and a disservice to these kids to just sort of exploit their actual um, thoughts on life to support this movie but in a way, it supports the movie in such this fascinating way because he didn't do that. Yeah, there's more nuance to it. Like, it's not like, you know, the, the uncle and nephew get in a fight and then they cut to an interview with a kid who's like, sometimes adults can be too mean. <laughs> it's, you know, it's never on the nose. I like, hate like fighting with my uncle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah just, just an understated movie, but a very powerful one. And one that I think for me and Taylor as fathers, just, um, I don't know, it, it, it's going to stick with me for a long time. I know, I know, it, I knew it moved you on the night. Yeah. If you don't mind me sharing, we both had, you know, we got a little teary there. <laughs> I mean, I cry all the time, but this one was, uh, this one was felt a little deeper for sure. I mean, it was one of those movies that I just felt would stick with me for the rest of my life in some Mm. ways. Like I haven't seen a movie in recent times that has connected with me in such a visceral way. Like this film has. Yeah. It was cool to share that with you. That was an awesome night. And, uh, the next day I got to interview Mike Mills one-on-one and that was really cool too. Also emotional. I think Mike, um, at the screening and at our interview was really affected by how the movie is resonating with people. Um, cause this is a really personal film for him. You know, he's kind of putting slices of his life up on the screen in a really bold way and an honest way. And people are loving it. He's been, you know, the movie's been getting a lot of positive reactions and really powerful reactions from people. And he's, yeah, he was he was moved to tears as well. <laughs> <I was laughs> yeah, everyone was crying, man. All yeah. these grown men, definitely driven to tears. So, um, yeah, man. Props to Mike Mills for this one. This this might be uh, might be his best film, at least for me personally. This was to me Mike Mills' um, best film, and I think we talk so much about representation um, on this podcast, and that film was such an accurate representation from parenthood of parenthood. And it's hard to leave the theater, not feeling completely validated in your experience that you're having with your children. Yeah. That's what I told him. You know, when I, when I interviewed him, I said that the movie was just kind of a huge, it gave me a huge feeling of recognition. Like that's, that's what I go through too. Yeah, there are other people who go through this, and uh, I felt—I don't know—I felt seen. <laughs> I felt seen. <laughs> that was yeah. We just wanted we just wanted to talk about this movie more because it's phenomenal and it's out now. You guys can go out to theaters right now and watch it, and you totally should. Um, it's worthwhile to watch it in a theater as well. Looks oh, like yeah. looks like streaming isn't in the plans uh, as of yet which is kind of cool. I'm glad that people are going to be able to watch this in the theater on the big screen. It deserves it. 
And we, you know, Taylor and I couldn't recommend this movie more. Uh, go see Come On, Come On. Uh, we are Asian fathers. Mm-hmm. And I think what we learned, what I learned on this episode is that, like, we've got a lot to be thankful for as Asian fathers. Like, there's, I'm, I have hope, you know, for because I think uh, my parents' generation, to be an Asian father when my dad was an Asian dad, back when I was born, I'm the first born back in the eighties must've been much tougher for him. Yeah. You know, like be being Asian and not being represented anywhere and being completely, um, othered, um, for my dad couldn't have been easy. And now we talk about all of these Asian people, achieving excellence in all these different fields and setting an example for our kids. And it's like, it it makes me feel hopeful uh, for, for what my experience as a dad's going to be. And, and with movies like, come on, come on. uh, Yeah. That makes me feel good too, that, that we can talk about being fathers from a position of vulnerability. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, it wasn't easy for our fathers. I don't think it was easy for us. Um, as far as the state of things of growing up in the eighties and nineties, even though they, they had improved, I hope that what our kids are experiencing now and what we're experiencing is better than what our parents had to. Yeah. That's what you always hope as a parent. But, um, this was like a heartwarming episode of your Asian best friends. It's our Thanksgiving special. Thanksgiving special. <laughs> this is coming out Thanksgiving week. That's Might be right. Thanksgiving Day. Wow, we man, we should have brought, we should have busted out some uh, Thanksgiving themed uh, snacks uh, that we could have snacked on throughout the episode and ruined the audio. Well, you just you said you were thankful for stuff, so I thought that's where you were going. I Bars. thought it was like, oh man, this is. I thought this is gonna be our thankful segment. Dang, maybe that I, should be I the new it. Taylor's takes. It's just. Taylor, thanks. <laughs> Taylor, thanks. <laughs> Taylor, thanks. <laughs> oh, God. But it is nice to where, you know, sometimes we're, we just go through existential crises on this show and we talk about how we're not sure <laughs> yeah. that we're going to be, how we're going to be received in different aspects of society and culture and life. Um, this episode was a more hopeful, had a more hopeful tone. So thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, as always, for joining us. A uh, special shout-out to all our loved ones who are listening to this. We love you. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Bernard. And I'm Taylor. And we're your Asian best friends. Do the Thanksgiving ad libs. <laughs> Cranberry song. That's a Taylor's take. Here, bonus, bonus Taylor's take. Thanksgiving edition. Thanksgiving edition. Bonus Taylor's take. Canned cranberry sauce. Oh, great. It's great. Unbeatable. It's so good. You can't make a better cranberry sauce. <laughs> I don't even have a brand. It's because it tastes like the aluminum. (laughs) It's so good. Because it's like the perfect foil to every other Thanksgiving dish. Yeah. They're all heavy as shit. Yeah. And brown and, you know, buttery. Yeah. This is tinny. It's fruity. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's artificial. It's the tin, the tin of the... The taste of tin really cuts through everything else. When you serve it, do you just put it in the shape of a can? And then you just <laughs> slice it. I don't even slice it, dude. I just put it. Boom. <laughs> it's so good. It is really good. It's really good, man. It's oh, so man. Good. Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> We're like we the same exact humor as when we were kids. Like, it's so bad. Hasn't changed at all. <laughs> <We're> like, <"Hey." laughs> wow.
laughing as hard as Give me that bread. Dark me. Don't play with me. Oh, shit.